Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Deal or No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. And this is Inside Job, bonus content for subscribers to the Crime Scene feed. You can subscribe at robhasawebsite.com forward slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays, as well as bonus content like this. Inside Job brings you conversations with people who know crime, law and justice from the inside. If you have a story to tell, Message us on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. This week on Inside Job, the jury. Lucinda, welcome to Inside Job. Thank you, Sarah. So you were on a 10 day case, but do you want to just wind it back a bit and talk about the process to getting into that jury box? Yeah, well, uh, this is my sort of second round, uh, but this all sort of really hit at the beginning of 2020. And you can only imagine what uh, COVID and all the lockdowns did to every bit of uh, preparation for um, jurors and for every second case, of course, being delayed appallingly. So they had this extraordinary back. And every, and I think many of us know that um, you know many 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 people were called up for jury duty who have never been called up before. I I think I was this was the fifth case that I was called up for, uh, ranging from three weeks up to forty weeks, and the forty week one I couldn't even begin to fathom how someone could um, do that. Uh, but when the fifth one landed and it was 10 days. I thought, look, it might be best just to knock this over. It was, I, I teach and it was the beginning of the school term. It was February and I thought it would be better to do it now than later. So lobbed along to the 
district court and and then, you know, went through the long process of being chosen. Then it is a long process. I've done it myself, sitting mm-hmm. in that room, seeing oh. that that badly acted video that they show you. <laughs> it was really, honor. oh, it, <laughs> I know. And it was, it was, yeah, it was a very long day and they finally let us out to lunch. It was quite late, about two. And they said, you know, are you, you can be back maybe here at four. And it was like, oh, come on. Uh, so, you know, the day just went on and on and on and on. And then at four, everything kicked in. Uh, and so we actually got into that jury room and, and selection happened at like 5 p.m. Uh, but that, you know, we had had we had to be COVID tested every day we were there. So, it, you know, that started an hour before ever arriving. So it was a longer day, I would suggest, than, um, than you know, pre-pandemic. Yeah, pre-pandemic is very much gentlemen's hours. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so did you want to give us an overview of the case before you sort of dive into the details? Yeah, so um, we knew nothing of the case, of course, until uh, we were, there were probably about 20 of us brought into the courtroom and all there was the, was the defendant and, and his lawyers and the judge. It was, you know, very tiny. And this was a retrial of a case that yeah had a hung jury. So and it was a retrial of a case that was two years earlier. So again covid had like really really badly impacted uh, this case that we as a jury were strongly adamant should have been should have been done and dusted two years ago. Uh so we surprisingly our case actually went on longer than the original case, but I think that was because they were being very, very, very cautious uh, that we um, would get all the information we required to come to a decision. The defendant was accused of two counts of sexual assault, and then over the 10 days we had a combination of recorded footage. The, The plaintiff had recorded her footage you know, this 18 months, two years earlier, and we that's what we saw with different uh, attending barristers, actually. So, you know, we were hearing different voices and so we watched all of that on video. Uh, sadly for the um, defendant, his testimony, they had failed to capture the video. It, it, the, the technology didn't work. So all of his was just recorded. He's there in the room with us. But we only ever were able to hear the recording. Towards the end, that last few days, we did get a couple of live witnesses, but um, so much of it was just listening, you know, like watching, listening, watching and listening to uh, everything that was previously asked. So we were hearing the identical, uh, you know, bits of information. We had a massive book of um, photos and and. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of text messages, WhatsApp messages from a whole variety of different people. And, you know, very much occurred to me and everyone else in the jury that, (laughs) wow, uh, I don't know how I would feel about 12 strangers just reading everything I had blurted to a friend or a relative at God knows what time in the morning, drunk or not drunk, and, you know, just being and everything being read over, over and over and over and over and over again uh, over 10 days, you know, I mean, like intense, 
very intense, makes you really, really consider, wow, the trail of information after me would, after all of us with our phones would just be enormous. And this sexual assault is uh, very underreported. Do you just, just in your opinion, is this one of the reasons because you're so laid bare? I mean, they're now no longer able to bring up the plaintiff's, you know, prior sexual history. But this is this seems very vulnerable to, and I mean, I don't even send naughty texts, but mm, uh, even just some and photos, so many yeah. photos, so much on Instagram, so much on Facebook, so many photos of the night, Sarah, and. 45 minutes of um, CCTV footage in a bar uh, with no sound, of course, but we watched every single moment of this couple interacting with each other and others and and <laughs> having, you know, like you come from a performance background, it was it was just it was just the most astonishing thing. What she said happened in that bar, and what he said happened in that bar, and the reality of what happened in the bar were three completely separate things. And you say that you, you as a jury, or you in particular, and the rest of your mm-hmm. uh, your fellow jurors felt that the case should have been done and dusted. Two years should have been before. done and dusted. We we could not see what had halted the last jury i i would be i would be really hazarding a guess here but i was dressed for work so i was dressed somewhat corporately jacket you know court shoes you know that sort of thing on that group of 20 when when they brought up that it was a sexual assault they asked who is not comfortable uh, proceeding Six of them, including a couple of gentlemen, put their hands up and said they weren't comfortable to proceed and they were gone. So I think it was down down to about maybe 14 or 15. And then two older women were selected and the defence requested they both be um, sent away. And they both had a slightly, um, oh, I don't know, could work at a weekend markets sort of vibe about them. They seemed, you know, really good women. I think I stuck because I looked corporate, uh, not with them not knowing that everything in me at this point wanted to find this man guilty <laughs> because <laughs> sexual assault of a woman. It was just like, bring it on. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm the feminist in the room, and I'm going to, I'm going to hold him to task. And, and where there were four women and eight men on the jury, and I, th- I was looking at this, and I'm going, "There's no way I'm I'm, I'm going to be very vocal." But um, as we proceeded uh, through the case, it, it became clearer and clearer that we couldn't understand if we were getting the same information that they got, and I believe we were. We could not understand how they couldn't have found not guilty the first time round. In the room, in the jury room, I know you can't, or none of us can, can talk about details of what happens in the room. But just in general, in terms of the agreement or otherwise between yes. them, were you were you pretty much of the same mind? Yes, um, pretty much of the same mind. Surprisingly, uh, where there was a really big cross section, where there were there were four baby boomers, and then a whole pile of everyone else, right down to an eighteen year old. And 
they were such a mixed group, absolutely lovely, like we did get on well. We had a very dominant boomer male who who wanted to be wanted to be the sort of head of the jury from the go get he made that very clear and we were happy to give him that job cuz i think if he if we'd said no to that he would have been would have struggled but we did t- keep him in check just some old attitudes very 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 nice man lovely delightful man but just some really old attitudes popping in uh, because it was the entire thing sarah was he said she said everything was around just what seems more sensible, what seems more likely to have actually happened uh, because there was, you know, really zero evidence and, um, and just, just these two, two contrasting stories. And when it finally came to it on, on that very last day, the, the, the judge who was so delightful, but did, speak a lot and he said I'm going to wrap this up it'll take about 45 minutes that 45 minutes went on for three hours and we're looking at our clocks and it's coming up to Friday afternoon and we are you know nothing no evidence has landed in this last couple of days that is really shifting our approach very much and we are looking for it and uh and it was three and he said, well, we'll be finishing today at four, but if you need any more time, you know, just send through a note and we'll give you some more time. And when we got in there, the bottom line was we made a decision that we we, we wanted to finish it today and not drag it on to next week. And I was surprised at the variations of not guilty, but and I was surprised at where they came from, but the bottom line is we could not in any good faith uh, find him guilty on the evidence that we had and these uh, somewhat fanciful stories uh, from multiple different sources that didn't add up. We had uh, this incredible timeline, you know, this person was at this place at this moment, 15 minutes later they were in an Uber, five minutes later they were in a car, then they were back in an apartment, then they were back at a pub. We had this time, incredibly intricate timeline over the course of one day, one afternoon and one evening, and um, everything took place on that one day. And this was the first meeting between these two people that were strangers to each other. They had met on Bumble. So this timeline had to make sense to us. You know, we know Sydney really well and and just the, the, the distance and time it would take to get from one place to the other. And, and there were just so many, there were huge inconsistencies. And there was in, huge inconsistencies in, in the um, items of clothing that were presented to the police and the items of clothing that weren't, that suddenly went missing. And these ones that suddenly went missing, um, that, you know, weren't given to the police, were the ones that we needed. And so n- none of it was really adding up to us. And without, I don't think, disclosing very much about what went on in the jury room, the bottom line is I think there was ultimately an agreement, certainly in me, that this was just a terrible night. Uh, a couple had a terrible night, a whole pile of miscommunication, a whole pile of misunderstandings and, um, and uh, you know, and an awful evening. Um, but whether that transpired into assault we could not we could not in any possibility determine 
Uh, and so when we, we asked for another half an hour, we went back. It was now it was closer to five. Everyone was there. It was only a few key people. Oh, because our um, <laughs> police prosecutor got COVID as well. I mean, it was, you know, it was all of that. So he was on, um, he was on video. And uh, keeping in mind this case had gone on for two years and the gentleman, uh, the, the defendant, had, I would suggest, lost four stone. I, I mean, that really old terminology there. I, I'd say, you know, over, over 20 kilos. And he had a mask on the whole time. We all had masks on the whole time. So it was very hard to sort of capture his sense. But when, uh, you know, our foreman said, you know, not guilty, I, I myself have never, ever in my life seen relief like I saw on his face. I mean, he, his knees buckled from under him. And, um, and when the judge very kindly said, you know, sir, you, you're allowed to, you know, collect your bag, get your umbrella and, and go and sit in, um, go and, you know, sit down over there because you're no longer on trial. And he just, he, he really was trying to hang in there, but those tears were coming. He was so relieved that this, this, uh, part of his life was, there was a full stop to the end of it. So when you think of the previous jury two years before, mm. let me put this almost legally, did you form an opinion as to? We, we did. We did. We did form an opinion. We formed an opinion that someone wanted, someone that may have been perceived as an alpha male to face consequences for what was ungentlemanly behaviour, which he fully admits. He fully admitted that he didn't act in a gentlemanly way and that there were expectations around someone returning to your apartment at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> there's expectations around why they're there and, uh, and that he shouldn't have had those expectations. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Yes, <laughs> un- right. un- unfounded and uh, Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, and yeah. So, so, yeah, we there was... Again, going back, Sarah, to the timeline and the sequence and the sequence of events, we, we just had to go with what made the most sense and, uh, you know, just what made the most sense. And so, yes, I think, you know, they will both carry this with them. Um, uh, undoubtedly, she would have been um, uh, devastated by our uh, decision uh, and, you know, and that sort of hung really hard on our shoulders, but we couldn't, in all honesty, uh, sort of proceed on the possibility uh, that, that something happened when, um, when there was, yeah, no, no evidence and the evidence and, and the stories that we were given really in all rationale didn't make any actual sense. Now, you're a performing arts professional, so you have a particular view of the court proceedings and the presentation of evidence and what happened in the jury room. So were you sort of in a, in a two-minded way, part of you involved as the juror and part of you watching as a performing arts person? I had to check myself over and over and over again that I wasn't in a play to the point where I was almost, you know... <laughs> When the police prosecutor or the judge or, or the um, or the you know defence barrister were um, you know speaking, I'd, I'd I'd be that close to clapping them. 
And I'd be doing a lot of nodding, a lot of, mm, yeah. <laughs> and I just 12 angry men just was stuck in my head and sort of thought, well, where am I in this equation? And we, um, I don't think, I, I hope I don't get into trouble for disclosing this, but there was an American in the jury, um, and that sort of made it even more, even more sort of fascinating. And I, and I just, I've just, I could just see. It was, I felt like everyone in the room was cast by a casting agent. That's what it felt like to me. It was the most perfect cross section of people, and uh, yeah, absolutely fascinating. And uh, very difficult, I imagine, if if you actually had people in the room, uh, people watching, uh, witnesses coming and going. Uh, it, it would be, you know, you'd be able to stay on the you know tops of your toes uh, when there was so much video evidence and so much just listening and just so much reading uh, in a, in in that wearing a mask and so on in that space there were there were definitely times uh, when I know the jury were starting to nod off um, not that they didn't want to stay alert but they'd just been sitting too long in a sort of somewhat darkish space and you know and no natural light and all that. So, yes, it was very much like theatre and and all, all the aspects of the judge and the robes and the standing and the sitting and the formality and the... And the, you know, the, you know, you've got this book in front of you and it felt like a script and I'm reading this script of who said what to whom and when and, and then they send an emoji and it just read like a script. And so I had to always keep looking back at the defendant and going, oh, this is a real person with a real life. And, and it would have been very, if COVID hadn't have been there and, and the plaintiff had been in the room, it would have been really, very, very interesting to have had that dynamic as well. But, you know, we didn't. We just had him. And Lucinda, what's, what's the aftermath for you? Have, you? have you carried it with you? Have you been able to drop it? Does it come back to you? It, it does come back to me. And I have, um, you know, certainly spoken to my adult children around caution around, you know, what, what you disclose. <laughs> through just your life just being absolutely curated on social media uh, and how a group of 12 total strangers may be interpreting what that photo or that text or that emoji. And, I mean, they know all that, but it's, 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 it is really precarious. Also the dangers of, um, not the dangers, but the, the complexities of dating, online dating sites and, and um, and you know, just meeting a stranger and how that night plays out. So yeah, lots of conversations with my kids, and I guess lots of conversations with like-minded friends, uh, where we're probably all reasonably cautious. But we're all in our fifties or sixties, so yes, we are more cautious online than uh, than than twenty-somethings. Yes, for certain, just caution, caution. <laughs> Caution in the decisions you make, but also caution in what you let out there and how you and how you project yourself in the world, in what you write and and, and photograph. 
So Lucinda mentioned 12 Angry Men. It's a 1957 film directed by Sidney Lumet. It's an extraordinary uh, work of art. The original poster had the tagline, it explodes like a stick of dynamite. And uh, it's certainly been parodied through the years. There's a fantastic Amy Schumer version of it, but it's very much worth your while to go back to watch uh, the original. It is brilliantly made. Of course, astonishingly, not a woman in sight. So, you know, it is absolutely fascinating just to see that, you know, women weren't allowed anywhere near that decision-making. But it's a near-perfect film. It's a brilliant script and every performance is superb and it's unbelievably brilliantly directed because the director had nothing but a long table and a, and a hot room and a, and a tiny bathroom at the side. And the way the camera pans and moves and the focus shifts is is genius. Uh, like it's a, it's a, it's an incredibly well made film. It, you know, well worth seeing. And if you're ever on a jury, it will well and truly prepare you for it. <laughs> Welcome, Jura M, to Inside Job. Hello, glad to be here. <laughs> so, your case that you were the jury for was at the Supreme Court. Uh, that's right. It was a Supreme Court trial, a um, a murder trial. It was a few years ago now, and uh, it's hard to, without giving too many details away, say what m- more it was about. So, Jerry, why don't you start at the end? What was the verdict? The verdict in our trial was uh, not guilty, and it was um, an incredibly difficult decision. We had a very long three-day, what's it called at the end when we discussed the uh, deliberation between us? And three days may not sound like a long time, but the the trial ran for six weeks. And um, as a jury, we were were completely, even though we talked about it for those six weeks, we were, most of us were pretty undecided except for a couple of people who had made up their minds very early. And so we had a fairly long three-day deliberation, which was, which I just found the most fascinating part of it because it was when we spoke the most. Really during the the six weeks of the trial, we, you know, you're sitting in a jury room sometimes for a couple of hours, but we didn't discuss the case all that much really when we were not, you know, when we were not in court or when we're in court, obviously we're not talking about it. And because you don't discuss all that much, well, you're not meant to discuss anything when you're at home, you kind of bot- we kind of bottled up for six weeks, or our jury did for six weeks, all, all our thoughts about it because it was a fairly gruesome case and and very emotional, and um, so we bottled up our our thinking about the case until the deliberation. So for three days we had a really really long, um, um, you know, very very robust conversation about it. We were no, there was no it, there was no screaming matches or anything like that. Just just a lot of incredibly differing opinions Um, because that was one of the other fascinating things that I found about being on a jury was just, you know, there's 12 such different people with such different viewpoints. They just, it's just this random selection of life, which, which, which I thought was incredible. And ours was a real cross section of people. So we, we, we deliberated for three days and, in that three days, it was a little bit like, um, you know, 12 Angry Men. There were, like there were people started with firm convictions and by the end of it, as a jury, I guess we just realised that 
uh, there wasn't enough evidence to, you know, beyond reasonable doubt. There was this, there was doubt there in a, in, in enough of us to start with and managed to convince the jury that beyond reasonable doubt, we couldn't make huge decision because, you know, when you're talking about a murder trial, you know, people's lives and, you know, are impacted and, you know, huge decisions to be made. And they're just, so we took it very seriously as anyone should on a jury. And there just wasn't enough evidence to beyond reasonable doubt to make a, to commit this person. What was there? A, was there a thought that you were inclined to think that this person was guilty, but under the law could not find them guilty, or there was genuine doubt as to their guilt? Um, a bit of both. Uh, there was some people, and in in hindsight, certainly there were some people on our jury who who were convinced that he was, you know, for, for, that he was guilty for various reasons and that there just wasn't, wasn't enough evidence there. On the whole, I think we, we um, took everything at, on face value, you know, everything that was presented to us and the things that weren't presented to us and the things that we weren't allowed to consider, we didn't consider and we could, we tried to push them aside it's so funny they they tell you not to not to google any information about a case and had you googled information you know googled this case you would have found information that definitely would have prejudiced you and i didn't and i don't know if anyone else did because no one would own up to it but so that's interesting you know that there were some people who had made their mind up and were they the people who had some prior information about about this person and about this case because ours was it was actually a retrial so that it had been tried before so there was a lot of information sort of out there so I, I didn't personally I I took my role very seriously and 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 didn't Google any information and took everything on face value of the information that I was given so and and I think so did most people on our jury. You know, I think you Nick, we can never you can, can never be sure because no one's going to iron up to that. And so, the makeup of the jury were you the four person? No, I wasn't the four person. We had um we had about we had half uh, men and women, mostly old. I would say I would say ten out of our twelve were over fifty ish, but a huge cross section of of people you know, all walks of life, which was, which in itself is just, was just fascinating just to be in a room for six weeks with these people. And even though you don't get to know each other that well, because no one shares too much of their life, or my jury, no one shared all that much of their lives. Everyone kept to themselves fairly much, but you do get to know people for six weeks. And, and that was, that was, that was fascinating. And and then it all came, and then in the deliberation, when everyone's when all of a sudden everyone's sort of speaking their mind more, it was like, oh wow, I did not expect that from you, or you know, there were some people who you went, wow, I, I'm surprised <laughs> that you hold that opinion, or you know, so you know, a, an incredible sort of look at you know, humanity. <laughs> uh, did you find that 
you had all heard a certain piece of evidence or you'd all heard a certain witness, and yet people's memories or attitudes towards that were surprising. On on my jury, we had a very weird thing where we all agreed on everything the entire time uh, and then had, had a lot of trouble with our verdict, uh, even though we all believed uh, the person to be guilty and have now basically had it confirmed that they were. So did you find in the room that there were different interpret? You'd all heard the same thing in the court, but there were different interpretations of it in terms of what someone had said or what a piece of evidence might mean? Um, not really. Not so. It was a. It. No, I wouldn't say it was a fairly straightforward case because it wasn't. But there was, there was so much evidence. There was, you know, it went for six weeks, and there was, you know, we just had just reams and reams of notes, and uh, you know, to to wade through at the end. So there was no, there was no really conflicting. I would say the I would say the interpretation of uh, the 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 biggest um, difference in the way we interpreted the case was the interpretation of the actual um, uh, the person who was on trial's character was the biggest because people made people made uh, very very quick uh, cal- no, trying to think of the word not calculations but they de- they they decided on his personality very quickly and who he was. And I think that that informed everything that they heard for the next six weeks. And they kept looking at it through those glasses and, and witnesses would come in, in, you know, in a highly emotional state because there was a, a fa- there was family involved, uh, you know, a, a large family involved. I, I feel like that was the biggest sort of differences in interpretation. Whereas the rest of us, the bulk of us on our jury tended to, tended to be sort of a bit more a bit more removed or a bit more aloof and 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 not make a snap judgment on on character which which is so easy to do because you know they're sitting there in the in the room with you and you, know, you, you we make judgments every day about people and you know on the bus we sit on the bus and you make a snap judgment about someone as soon as they walk on and, and it's hard not to do that i think it's hard to but I think that's the role of a jury is to is, is to do that and to go okay there's this person and they've done this in their life and but all but all that put that all that aside all, all we all we can look at is what is presented to us here today you know over the course of this trial and, and that was really difficult I think that was really di- it is really difficult to do that did the accused in the case that you were the jury on did they take the stand? Uh, no, no, they chose not to, and, and I gather that's that's fairly common, and that they advise them not to because as soon as they open their mouths, you know, the, the again the jury is going to make these judgments about them, and and they just have to slip up one on one little answer from someone, and the jury goes, oh, okay, so I I. I gather that that happens very rarely, but no, we we didn't hear a word from them. You know, not one word. And were you instructed not to draw any conclusions from the fact that they didn't take the stand? Uh, yes, yeah, 
So in the room, this three days, was there ever a feeling from anyone of let's get on with it, let's get it over with, I'm missing work for this? Or, I mean, you spoke about taking it seriously yourself and that your fellow jurors tended to as well. How did it last for three days, I suppose, without going into detail of what you were actually discussing? No, no, no. There was never any a hint of anyone saying we're wasting we're wasting time and wanting to hurry it up at all. You know, I, I think we had a. I feel like I was on an excellent jury. I feel like everyone, you know, everybody took copious notes and and everyone had weighed in. You know, on the whole, there was a couple of people who didn't weigh in and made up their mind but on the whole the bulk of us and the and and I guess when you're on a jury the bulk of the voices you know like any sort of you know sort of carries the day and there were I, I think what I guess why it went for three days is that because there were a couple of people who were just um you know we we found when we brought in a verdict of not guilty but there were people who just who basically sat down and said I'm pretty sure that he's guilty, but uh, there's just not enough evidence here. So, but I'm I'm going to find it very hard to um you know to vote not guilty because of because of a, a lot of the evidence and you know a lot of the maybe maybe the judgment that they made of this person. So that 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 was why it took so long. Is that they just needed sort of they needed to go over everything again and sort of satisfy themselves that they can let someone go, you know, walk free, who in their heart of hearts I think they thought was guilty, but in their head and what they've been told and what they're instructed to by the judge, you know, to take only this into account, this information into account, and on this information alone you know, I can reach a conclusion. So I guess it was for them, it was just battling their, their kind of battling their, their heart over their head. And, and really the three days was spent just con- talking about and not even convincing these people, but just giving them the time and the space to, to, to reach, a, you know, to, re- to be satisfied in their own mind. And in that room for that three days, did you surprise yourself at all or was it as you had anticipated it would be for you? Um, I guess, no, I, do, I don't think I surprised myself, but I was certainly one of the more vocal people in the, in the room, you know, in the discussions, carrying the discussions. There was, you know, maybe two or three of us who were sort of the most vocal in trying to convince the others or just, not convince, convince. I feel like convince is the wrong word in the in the jury room. It's just yeah. you know to bring up your, I guess you know, just put forth your opinions. I did, I didn't surprise myself, but I was um, I was really pleased with myself that I didn't just sit back and make it make a decision and then sit with it. And I was really pleased with. Um, the other people who eventually sort of came around and eventually sort of said, yeah, eventually we all, it was a unanimous decision, you know, so we came to a unanimous decision. I was really pleased that those people didn't hold out and be stubborn and because, you know, I can imagine if you had personalities who were just like, you know, we, we had a couple of big personalities and who, who were, who came out straight away and said, that profess their dislike of the 
the um, accused and things like that and, and how they were sure he's guilty, but on, on everything that, that um, you know, on, on all the evidence that we were presented, there was, there's just not enough for me to say beyond reasonable doubt, but they still had a, it kind of, kind of made them angry, you know, in, in a way that they, that they couldn't, you know, find this person guilty. And I, I think I, I wasn't like that. I was, I think I, treated it because I was treating it very, very on face value, everything on face value. Uh, I, I took it as I don't have no interest in this. There's no self-interest here. I, I have no opinion about this person. All I'm going to do is make an opinion based on, on the evidence that I've been given. So, I, you know, I guess we tried, tried to leave emotion out of it. And for the whole, I think we did that as a jury. I think we left emotion out of it, you know, apart from a couple of sort of, robust discussions that we had about about usually about the character of the accused and I, and I was in that camp I was in the camp of saying well that's not up to us you know whether we whether we like them whether whether what we think about them personally is you know is irrelevant here and so putting that aside and and and, and at the end of the day we were all able to do that to put that aside and when you went back into the court to deliver your verdict, who was there other than the accused and the uh, officers of the court, the judge and the lawyers and so on? Well, my case was during uh, COVID. So our court was empty apart from anyone who had to be there. So there was no, there was no family. We were all spread. The jury was all spread out, safely distanced. So there was no one in the court uh, for the, apart from the officers and you know, people who had to be there for the decision. But um, weirdly enough, and we didn't know this at the time, but there were obviously family outside the our court because when the decision was handed down, there was a, you know, big ruckus outside, you know, screams and, and you know, noise from, I would say, both sides of, you know, people happy and people angry at the decision. Uh, but we didn't know that until until the, you know we delivered the verdict. So that that really shocked us as a jury because we hadn't seen you know we hadn't seen people in the, the actual room. Well, there'd been some people in the room and a lot of people on on monitors, um, you know, giving evidence on monitors. But that really surprised us as a jury. We went, oh my god! So I I can't imagine being in a. I, I imagine the, the the amount of pressure and. It was so tense. It was the most tense thing I've ever been a part of. That moment when we file in and and, and deliver your verdict. It was, you know, my heart was just all of us. You know, my heart was just beating through my chest. So I can't imagine how uh, even more difficult it would be when the when there are people in the court who are, you know, family and and you know, victims' families and people like that. I mean. They're facing you, looking at you. I mean, it's, it was the most, you know, intense thing I've I've ever I've ever had to do. And the aftermath for you? Did you come down from this intensity easily, or did you think about the case on and off for a while? Or what was your recovery? I suppose, if recovery is the right word. Yeah, no, I think recovery is a, a good word because I mean, God, they offer you counselling after it, so they mustn't do they do that for a reason obviously i mean i i was 
Uh, I, t- I, just, I just talked about it a lot from what you're allowed, you know, meant to talk about. I talked about it a lot with family and friends because it was good to finally talk about it after six weeks, after, after not talking about it. Uh, I thought about it a lot. In fact, I still think about it a lot, you know, even a, quite a long time later. I still think about the other jurors because they're, they're these people who you make a you know momentous decision with, and then you just go off your separate ways and never see again. And you know, I, I still sort of recall their faces and recall you know their character, and they, and I have no idea who they are. And <laughs> you want I, want I always wonder if I'll ever bump into bump into them one day, and if we'd even acknowledge each other. But emotionally, I think the re- the recovery because it was a it was a very fraught. Um, case and very intense case. Uh, you know, I can still recall incredibly vividly um, pictures that you, you know, images that you're forced to look at and things like that. So it's something that stays with you, and uh, and and not in a bad way. I, I don't feel like I was, you know, I don't feel, you know, psychologically scarred or damaged by it in any way. Just, just in fact, quite privileged to have gone through it. You know, I feel uh, I feel it was one of the great privileges of my life to have done, actually, to have, you know, been given this um, responsibility and to have taken it very seriously. And, and for my, you know, peers, for want of a better word, you know, my 11 other randoms, randomly selected <laughs> humans to also take it very seriously and... And, you know, and I, I thought we, as I said before, I thought we performed really well as a jury. So, you know, I, it, was, it was one of the most satisfying and experiences of my life, but definitely remained with me and still remains with me. And, I, you know, I would, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Crime Scene is a true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed at robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. Follow Mari at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two, like the number two. And follow Crime Scene at Crime Scene RHAP. That's S E E N. Many thanks to Lucinda. Thanks to Jura M for sharing their experience with us. To Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics, and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. 